Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God working in your life. Enjoy the message. While I was uh, writing this message, I thought of a story that David Jeremiah had told one time in one of his sermons, and some of you may have heard it. It's about a little girl who was drawing a picture. And uh, her mother came up to her and said, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And her mother said, well, that might be hard, honey, because no one's ever seen God, and no one really knows what he looks like. And she said, well, they will when I'm finished. (laughs) Now, Now, as I thought of that, two things came to mind as I was writing this. The first was standing in the back of the sanctuary when the kids are dismissed for children's church, and in my mind, thinking of all the little ones running past who would say something like that, which was most of them, by the way. But I also thought of, um, I wondered how confident I was, or any of of us are, uh, that the world will know what God looks like through the picture of ourselves we present, right? So, uh, today's message is called, Whose Image? And for the base text, what we're going to do is go to Genesis chapter 5. I think I got that up there. Genesis chapter 5. Maybe I don't. Or no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm messing up already, aren't I? (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. There we go. Yeah, okay. Um, Now, uh... You can turn, turn there if you've got your Bibles. If you don't, uh, we, ha- we are on the YouVersion app. And if you're new to us and don't have the YouVersion app, or if you're watching and you don't have it, uh, just go to myloh.church, myloh.church, slash Bible, and then click on the YouVersion logo, and it'll give you directions on how to download that onto your phone. And then you can follow along with our scripture references and our notes. And uh, you can even save it if you want to go back and listen to it later for some reason. Okay, so uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Now, something to keep in mind Uh, when reading that passage, is the purpose in that passage. Uh, He he made the other creations, and he just spoke, and they existed. The light, the sky, the water, the birds, the fish, the, the other animals. He spoke, and they existed. But here, he stops for a second, and he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And what that means is that we were to carry the image and likeness of God to the world, not the other creation, okay? Now, now in Genesis 5, I don't think I do have it up there, but uh, there's a similar passage. It says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. Now, as God is creating, he follows his creation with, it is good, But when he creates man, suddenly we have, it is not good. You know where I'm going with this? He said, when he created man, it is not good for man to be alone, 
right? So when no suitable uh, companion was found through the rest of the creation, God creates woman from man. The original completion of the image in regards to male and female he created them was the two shall become one in marriage, okay? Now, I'm a little problem already. Uh, Genesis 2.24 tells us, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. As male and female, we are to reflect God's image in the unique characteristics he's given us as male and female, okay? And uh, in creating us male and female, he created an opportunity for us to come together in a sacred relationship. And Paul talks about that to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, he calls it a profound mystery. But Paul goes on to say that what he's talking about is Christ in the church. Our marriage bond as man and woman is to reflect Christ's love for the church. Okay? And since the beginning of time, God has been drawing people to him to come back into that relationship. And I'm having problems with my notes here. And I, I, it, does, it may look like I have about 50 notes up here. I started out, I had like 117, but I whittled it down, okay? So it is down to like 30, so we, no. It's, it's not even that many, it's just that I had to make the, the fonts so big because my eyes aren't so good, and I'm a little more vain than Pastor Tim. I'm not gonna put my glasses on up here, okay? Now, the devil wants men and women forever to live away from the presence of God. And our pathway back to the glory that God intended is a struggle because we're born with a sin nature due to Adam's fall and because of Satan's interference. And throughout history, as God has been defining the image we are to return to, the, the enemy has been pushing us towards an image that is certainly not um, the same, and in fact, in times, it's a perversion of the original. And we can certainly see that nowadays with the two shall become one flesh. God designed each of us in his own image, and um, what, uh, let's see here, and that's exactly, uh, it's, it's hard for us to step into that image, though. All of us are far from that image, but that's where Christianity comes in, right? You see, uh, when God created us in his likeness, he had a plan for us not only to look like him, but to reflect his glory and fellowship with him and display his character to the rest of the world. But as I said, there's a problem. We have a sin nature. David puts it this way. In Romans, or I'm sorry, in Psalm 51, verse 5, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And this is going to be tricky, trying to get a drink of water. He was sinful from the time his mother conceived him. That's the same with all of us. Because of the fall in the garden, we are born with a nature contrary to the nature in which we were originally created. But God had a solution to this problem. Paul puts it this way to the Ephesians. He says... In Ephesians 4, 22, he says, you were taught, listen to this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. This is the gospel he's talking about here, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. That's the gospel, to put on the new self. Listen to this, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's referring to the solution that God had for our sin nature. God created us in his image, but free will that he gave us uh, with that image has allowed us to travel far beyond what his original intent was. Now, none of this took God by surprise. Adam and Eve didn't sin, and he said, oh, man, never saw that one coming. <laughs> the problem started back in chapter 3 when the serpent used God's words in a different way. He tried to make them sound different than what they, real, what they actually were. Uh, Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Training in righteousness. That's what God's word does for us. But Satan used it to bring un unrighteousness to the man and the woman. And he tried the same tactic on Jesus when Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He used the same tactic, trying to pervert the word of God. But Jesus was the author of the word, and he used it right back against him, and he wouldn't have any of it. Now, Jesus went on to tell Satan in the desert that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Satan will do his best every day to get us to doubt that we can live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Uh, Satan set himself up against God in the beginning, and he set himself up in the beginning against the people, the creatures, who were created in the image of God. <clears throat> with Eve, he told her, did God really say? And with Jesus, he said, doesn't the word say, if you throw yourself off this high place, that God will protect you? He tries to use the word back against us. And uh, what he was telling Eve was, you were made in the image of God, but if you don't listen to this nonsense that God is telling you, you can be just like him, or you can be God, because that's what Satan wanted to be. What he was saying was, follow me. I have something better than he does. And we hear that a lot today. Now, let's fast forward uh, about 4,000 years to when Jesus came to earth. And we're going to talk a little bit from Matthew chapter 16. I don't have all these verses, but I'm going to talk about them here. Uh, we got a lot going on in chapter verse 16, or cha chapter 16 of Matthew, okay? I hear some, what, what do they call it, Baptist uh, air conditioning? The, the page is going in the Bible. I heard a preacher say one time that happiness is uh, when somebody's got to the place where the preacher is said in the Bible, and they look up and they see that you already have it. You're already there. Okay. In chapter 16, like I said, we have a lot going on. Jesus tells his disciples to be where the yeast of the Pharisees. And after a lot of discussion about whether they have enough bread or not, they come to, to realize that he's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were trying to live a godly life by their interpretation of the scriptures. The only problem was that Jesus pointed out quite often their interpretation of the scriptures was not correct. Um, Luke adds that in, this, in his account of this situation that 
what Jesus was talking about was the Pharisees teaching one thing and doing another. And what we learn from God through the scriptures is what we are to set our hearts, minds, and souls to accomplish. And once we are practicing what we have learned, then we can start teaching what we're practicing. So we don't have to worry about being hypocrites like the Pharisees. Now, after the talk about the yeast of the Pharisees, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you here, but I'm going to try and put it all together, so just bear with me. After the talk about the yeast and the Pharisees, they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And this is, Peter shines here. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus gives him a big old attaboy. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Now, can you imagine? Peter's probably walking around like he's seven feet tall. Or, well, I don't know what his original height was. If he was the height of Roberta, he's probably walking around like he's five feet tall, right? <laughs> and, it, and he's probably looking at the other disciples and saying, yeah, that's right. God revealed something to me. Did he reveal anything to you guys, right? Um, but then he couldn't, he couldn't just be happy with that, okay? Later on, Jesus is telling the disciples about how he has to go to uh, Jerusalem to be handed over to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the teachers and be crucified and then raised on the third day. Well, Peter, who just declared Jesus to be the Son of God, takes the Son of God aside and rebukes him. He says, no, no, this isn't going to happen, not on my watch. Well, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, man, what a letdown. After he was just given that pat on the back, and Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that Peter was Satan, okay? Jesus was on a mission to go to Jerusalem and to uh, fulfill his destiny and die on the cross. And with Peter's attitude that that mission was not the greatest thing, the most important thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, that attitude was from Satan, not Peter, okay? So that's what he was saying here. Now, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it, right? And what he's saying is that there is a goal. Our eyes should be on the goal, and our cross and is anything that would uh, come against us that would detour us from reaching that goal. And we are to, not, to deny ourselves, that is, any desire of earthly, uh, earthly, of earthly things, we are to deny that, and we are to take anything that would come against us and put it all aside so that our focus can be on the cross. That's where it is. And the goal that we are to attain is Christ, a Christ-like life. Um, and we, uh, let's see, the, the, the Christ-like life brings glory to God, and we are to show that to the world and hopefully ask them if they want to come along with us to try for that Christ-like life also. Um, the chapter ends with Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, some of who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. Then we go on to chapter 17. 
Now this is where we see what he was talking about when he says some may not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming. Uh, in chapter 17, verse one, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before Moses and Elijah talking with him, talking with Jesus. While he, on verse five, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, the word transfigured there uh, that Matthew uses, and Mark uses it also in his account of this incident, uh, is, is, comes from the Greek word metamorpho. Now, the metamorpho means in the Greek to change into another form to transform or to transfigure. And of course, that's where we get the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means a striking alteration in appearance, character, or circumstances. Now, just remember that. Keep that in your mind. We'll come back to that. Now, Peter talked about this incident in his second letter. He's, in 2 Peter uh, verse one, or, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were witnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice and came, that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They saw Jesus in all his majesty. What it really was, was Jesus going back to who he really was. It was him being glorified in his natural state, right? Um, he could have just said when, when he was transfigured back into his natural state, that's it, I'm, I'm back to normal, I'm out of here. But there was still a mission to complete. He still had to go on. So um, Matthew and, and uh, Mark tell us about Moses and Elijah talking to him, but Luke goes on to tell us what Mo Moses and Elijah were talking about when, they, when he gives his account of the situation. Luke says that Moses and Elijah spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. His departure meaning, of course, his death on the cross. So, there was still work to be done here on earth. And we're reminded of that as he comes down off the mountain. If you follow along in the chapter, as he comes down off the mountain, there's a man there with a boy who needs healing, but the disciples couldn't heal him. So Jesus steps in and heals him, right? So he just went through this miraculous transfiguration on the mountain, but he still had work to do to go to Jerusalem and finish his mission. And along the mission, he continued to heal people. Okay, now, uh, for, uh, Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, then he returned to the earthly form to come back and complete his mission. But from the moment we accept the sacrifice that he gave at the completion of that mission, we are reaching from that time on to accept Jesus to be more and more transformed into his image. We're going to talk about that in a second. When I say reaching, I mean like Paul said. He said, not that I have already attained or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. At one point during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus adds these words. Paul was saying, I haven't, I, I'm not where I should be, okay? 
But at one point during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus adds these words. He says, be perfect. Next slide. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew chapter 5. Peter says a lot, much the same thing. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, let me take a drink. Sorry. Does anybody know anyone that says, see, reads those two verses and says, perfect and holy? Got it. That's what I am, right? Nobody. Nobody is. Nobody is perfect. Um, I've told Roberta I won't even put a Jesus sticker on my car, you know? And, and listen, I've been, told, I've been told that I'm a pretty polite driver. Uh, my, uh, my brother-in-law and his wife, Roberta's sister, they were missionaries in Guatemala. And uh, he told me that if I came down to visit in Guatemala, I wasn't allowed to drive because I was too polite a driver and you couldn't be that way down there, you know? <laughs> Uh, we, were, we were out, I was out with, uh, with Roberta's brother, and we were visiting her other brother in, um, in Arizona, and uh, it was the three of us. We were driving to, I was driving, we were going to Sedona, and on the way to Sedona, there's this real long stretch of road going into Sedona. Every stretch of road out in Arizona seems to be real long, you know? But uh, there, was, there was road work going on, and there was traffic. I mean, it was backed up. I, I, it was Sedona probably backed up the Hoboken. It was really far. And um, I could see up ahead that there was a car had his blinker on when they turned across traffic. So when I got up there, I just stopped and waved him across. And Roberta's older brother said, I wonder if that guy knows that he just meant the only guy in Arizona that would let him across traffic just then. <laughs> So listen, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm known in some circles as a pretty polite driver, but, but there are incidences, right? I mean, <laughs> she knows me better than a lot of people. There was one just this past uh, Monday, we were going up to my mother's house for Memorial Day, and there was a guy who, who probably wasn't driving like he should have been and on 68, and it could have turned into something worse, but God got us through it, and there was no major, major instances. But listen, all it takes is that one, right? That one incident where you, somebody cuts you off, or, or you, you get mad at them and call them a stinker, or worse. And, <laughs> you know, they see that Jesus sticker on the back of your bumper, and they think, whoa. That's what Christians, but I don't want to, I don't want that. Okay, now, uh, but let, what, what I'm getting at is, let's be clear, nobody on this side of heaven is or will be perfect, and nobody on this side of heaven is or will be holy, but the thing of it is, this is the wild thing. That's the bar that's set for us. That holy and perfect as God is, that's what we are to reach for. And all of us can say, not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. That's why Christ took hold of us, so that we could be drawn and pulled towards that holiness and perfection. Yeah? Okay. Now, um, the thing of it is, through this process, God stacked the deck in our, in our favor. It's amazing. I'll bet you that just, just eats Satan up too. God provided the sacrifice to us, right? God draws us to the sacrifice to accept it, 
Jesus said in, in, in John 6, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, or no, excuse me, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, right? And then as if that's not enough, he indwells us with the Holy Spirit to aid us in all of our trials along the way. Yeah, amen. Now, Paul talks a little bit about this in 2 Corinthians 3. Um, he said, he's talking about the old way of doing things, and that is trying to follow the law in hopes that, in, that somehow we can obtain God's favor, right? Paul calls this, listen to what he says, he calls it the ministry that brought death engraved on stone tablets. That's kind of harsh, but it's true. It was the ministry that brought death. And he said that when Moses went up the mountain to get those tablets that the law was engraved on, when he came back, or any time he went up the mountain, actually, when he came back down, his face shone with what Paul, is shown so brightly with what Paul called glory that the Israelites couldn't look at him. So he had to wear a veil over his face. He adds, it was so bright, even though it wasn't permanent. Um, in other words, Moses went back. It wasn't permanent. Moses went back to just looking like Moses once it wore off. Okay? Now, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9, we see, yeah, we see this. Uh, Paul said, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glory how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. That's the gospel, the ministry that brings righteousness to us. He goes on in verse 11 and says, if what was transitory or temporary came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? What we are on our way toward is the glory that lasts. Paul continues uh, regarding the veil and said that Moses had to wear it to cover... Um, Moses had to wear it to cover the temporary glory. And even to this day, he said, when the law of Moses is read, a veil covers the heart of those who are reading it. Okay? But he goes on to say, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, Jesus, the veil is taken away because the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes, praise God for that. Now, Paul goes on to say, let me take another drink. Paul goes on to say in uh, 2 Corinthians, in verse 18, he's, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, with ever-increasing glory. Now listen, you want to hear something really cool? I said I'd get back to it, and I'm, here it is. For the word transformed here, Paul uses the same word that Matthew and Mark used to describe Jesus' transfiguration. The only difference is he uses a slight tense variation to indicate that we are being transformed as opposed to Mark and Matthew saying Jesus was transformed. We are being transformed into the same majesty and glory. We're not going to be God. We are transforming back into the image that God created us in, which is the image of God. Now, the biggest problem uh, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us is, the biggest problem is uh, that, uh, the biggest problem is the fact that uh, whenever we accept Christ, whenever the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, as Pastor Tim talked about last week, we're still here. 
No matter what happens, uh, we're still in the body. And the enemy can come against us and put trials and temptations in our way, and the Holy Spirit can lead us away from those trials and temptations, but sometimes the flesh doesn't want to be led away. That's the problem with us still being here. Um, the only way to live the life that we are called to live is for the Spirit of God to be at the forefront of the lives we're leading. And the forefront of the, of the lives we're leading is, that is leading us towards the glory that we are going towards. We must be led away from worldly desires. We must open our hearts to the spirits leading out of the world. Now, listen, Jesus had a confrontation, as I alluded to earlier, in the desert with the devil. And he is our... Um, example to follow. He used the word of God, and he walked every day by the Spirit. And then he said, pick up your cross and follow me to us. We are to use the word of God each day, and we are to live by the Spirit each day. Even after the fall in the garden, we maintain the image of God. And the reason was that every human being on this earth, everyone here, but everyone out there also has the chance of redemption that is being redeemed back to who we were originally created to be. As much as the enemy would try to set this up as a cosmic battle of good and evil with all sides being equal, it's not. The war has already been won, but there's still battles raging, battles of will and influence. God created us with free will, and the enemy uses that free will to try and influence us away from where we are heading. God's spirit has drawn us throughout history to him and that image, and the law was given to show us that no matter how hard we try, we can never, of our own volition, attain that image. Something was needed to pull us over the hump, and that something was Jesus. His sacrifice and the resulting indwelling of the Holy Spirit whenever we accept that sacrifice. Jesus was an example of the mission, not just the goal. We are all destined for glory, as I've said. That's where we're headed when we accept the sacrifice. But the fact that we are destined for glory isn't the end of the story, guys. Here on earth, we are to reach for the glorification that Paul talked about, but not only reach for that glorification, but to show others along the way that they too can reach for that glorification. That's what our mission is. A lot of people quote Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will. We do. We, we have it. We have it here in this sanctuary right now. But that's not the end of the verse. The whole quote of what Jesus said is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's, look, it would be great once we, if we accepted Jesus, thank you, Lord, come into my heart, thank you for your forgiveness, and boom, we were taken out of here. That would be great. But then how would others hear? Nobody else would know that they can, too can receive the glory and come out of this world. That's why we're here, to be those witnesses. Um, I love this quote by Pastor Jack Hayford. Um, he, he talks about what Jesus was doing on earth. He says, he didn't come to put on a show. 
He came to demonstrate God's glory, and then to say, this is Jesus, and then to say, come and let me lead you into it. And that's what, that's the same with us, guys. We're not here to put on a show. We're here to demonstrate to the world what God looks like and to say to them, come and let me lead you to look like him also. What are you drawing with your life? When you're done, is the world going to know what God looks like? Now, if you haven't listened to anything I've said so far, listen to this. Listen to what I'm about to say. Stick it in your pocket and carry it with you wherever you go, okay? Um, As I said before, Satan has been raging a battle since the beginning of time to get us to follow something else. And that something else is an image contrary to the image in which we were created. It's an image foreign to the original, and at times it's an image in direct contradiction to the original. And God said, um, and God, as I said, has been drawing us back to the original image, but not only to the original image, but to the eventual, our eventual glorification of that image. Now, one thing I've been asked the most over the years, well, I don't know if it's the most, but one thing I've been asked over the, over the years is, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? They can both feel pretty bad uh, when, we're, when we're reminded of who we really are, right? But um, the enemy, he uses lies and deception to get us to follow a path other than that which we're supposed to be following. But sometimes he uses a little bit of truth. As a matter of fact, sometimes he uses a lot of truth, right? Uh, Do you really think that God wants you being the person you are? Look what you did, and you call yourself a Christian, right? But then when he whispers that stuff in your ear, the Holy Spirit whispers back, read Hebrews 7 or read Romans 8. Listen, Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because, listen to this, he always lives to intercede for them. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, Jesus is interceding for you. Paul said to the Romans in, to the Romans, in Romans 8, he said, uh, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is always, always, always interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? From the love of Christ, sorry. No one. Now, we're not where we should be. Uh, At times, we're far from where we should be. The difference between condemnation and conviction is this. The enemy will use condemnation to drive us away from God and the people of God. That's what his mission is, to drive us to a place where we are no longer in God's presence, all right? The Holy Spirit will use conviction to draw us to God and the people of God. Condemnation drives us towards an image that is contrary to the image that God created us in. Conviction draws us to the very image we were created to be. The image of God 
in true righteousness, listen, in true righteousness and holiness and the real, real hope of glorification. Don't ever forget that, guys. God loves us so much and he wants us to come back to who he originally created us to be. Now, I don't know if I'm early or not, guys, but what I want to do is stop there because what we're going to do is, the band can come up now. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion and uh, each time we take communion, of course, it's a, a physical reminder that uh, Jesus was a real physical human being. He had a real body. He bled real blood. Uh, Paul talks about uh, communion in 1 Corinthians 10. He talks about the Israelites eating food sacrificed by the priest to God on the altar. And he says this, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? You see, as they, as they ate the sacrifice from what was on the altar, they were accepting the forgiveness and the restored fellowship with God that the sacrifice on the altar that was instituted by God gave them. The biggest problem was that they had to do it over and over and over again. Now, as we partake of, of communion, it's an acknowledgement of the acceptance of the sacrifice that Christ has given us. Uh, we have the forgiveness and restored fellowship through Christ once and for all through that. Yes, hallelujah, amen. Um, so as Pastor Tim uh, said the last time we took, took communion, uh, we don't just do it to remember the hor horrific way Jesus died, but mainly to remember what was accomplished by Jesus' death. What, we were, what I've been talking about today, that was accomplished through Jesus' death. It brings us back into the presence of God. And we no longer need to hide from God like Adam did in the garden or say, depart from me like Peter did, for I am a sinful man. Hebrews tells us, in Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4, 16, it says, we can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Okay, let's go ahead and take the... How about, let's go ahead and stand, right? Paul told the Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same, oops, let's go ahead and do that. Sorry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your sacrifice. Let's go ahead and get the juice out. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Guys, what we just did is an outward sign that we have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus gave us. The sacrifice that God instituted to bring us back into fellowship with him 
and to lead us back on the path to the glorified body, the glorified image he created us to be. Now, Dustin and the band are gonna play us out of here. And as always, the altars are open if you wanna come up. The only thing we ask is, if you bring something up to give to God on the altar, leave it there. God has it in his hands. You don't need to take it back with you.